to give res show respect to the audience and respect your own business. It was a way to protect it. Ladies and gentlemen, heels and faces, casual wrestling fans, and all you smart marks, I am Kayfabe AJ, and this is Kayfabe Avenue, and today I'm bringing you This Week in Wrestling. So, it's been a few days since you guys heard from me, and I'm going to recap the entire week in uh, this podcast. So... The last podcast I left off was the Raw Review. Go check that. The Raw Wrap-Up from last week. Um, so, we're going to start off from last week's Dynamite, the December 16th episode. I'm just going to run through the matches and just, you know, give a couple of ideas and thoughts and just highlight the week. So, it starts off with Hangman Adam Page, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds versus Matt Hardy and Private Party. So, good match. The winners are Matt Hardy and Private Party with Matt drifting more into this, I don't know if it's necessarily a heel turn, but a new character uh, that's starting to take credit for almost anything and everything in professional wrestling. So, you know, Matt with his multiverse mask, I guess we got a new version of Matt uh, really materializing in this this uh, matchup right here. Great match, uh, like I said. The standout to me was Dark Order and Hangman kind of gelling, even merging, you know, tag team moves and moves with Hangman. They seem like a real formidable team, but of course, uh, Matt Hardy and Private Party pulled off the win. Of course, with, with a little bit of the fuckery going on, admittedly, but Matt Hardy actually steals the shine from Private Party, tagging himself in after they hit their tag team finish and stealing the win for their team, so... Loving that about Matt Hardy. Uh, like the the situation going on with the Dark Order and, you know, the possibility of Hangman maybe joining full-time. I don't know. We'll see. Um, moving on, we have Alex Marvez backstage with the Inner Circle. Typical stuff with MJF cutting in front of Jericho. Um, we'll just move on from that. Uh, not too much of uh, Inner Circle's um, you know, shadow over this this uh, episode of Dynamite as opposed to the last couple of weeks. So next up, we have Car uh, Cody Rhodes with Arn Anderson versus Angelico and with Jack Evans. And we end up with Cody Rhodes winning. So he ends up uh, winning by hitting a disaster kick. And then, he, you know, he ends up getting re uh, reversed and locked in Angelico's submission finish um, for a near finish. Cody Rose ends up escaping and hitting hybrid two with the crossroads for the pinfall. So uh, Cody Rose, of course, continuing his baby face dominance with the win. We have Team Taz come out and they trash all Cody, Darby Allen, and then Sting arrives. So... Uh, Sting is doing a lot of his coming out and staring stuff. Um, not too much on the mic. Um, you know, we got the trademark Tony Schiavone. It's Sting. 
you know, Darby Allen again in the rafters. He pretty much just came out, interrupted, broke the conversation, and they panned to Darby Allen. I'm not really liking this uh, build up to him, I guess, managing Darby. It's like it's been phoned in even before Sting debuted. When Sting was rumored to be coming to AEW, that was an automatic thing. People, you know, kind of pairing him with Darby Allen in, in, in their minds. So it, it's really sh- uh, shoehorned in and. Sting isn't really doing much of the talking, not, not much of the explaining of what is his, his purpose in AEW. So at, at this point, three weeks in, we still don't know if Sting is going to be a, a in-ring competitor or if he's going to be a manager. One thing's for sure, he does not care about Cody Rhodes right now. Um, so pretty much that, we have Alex Marvez backstage with the best man, Miro. Uh, cuts a... Little promo on Orange Cassidy. And, uh, you know, they really dropped the ball on Miro. And just his position and in, in, in the card and what he's doing just really sucks to me. And, you know, they started showing a little bit more aggression with Miro uh, stemming from the week prior and into this episode. But I think it's already too far gone. I think they need to really drop this best man gimmick, separate him from Kip Sabian, and just... Focus more on the fact that Miro is a dominant force. He's a beast. He's a, a real heavyweight to be added to AEW. So I feel like they need to stop focusing on the funny things that uh, Miro can do. And he, he's known for being able to, you know, pass off. I think they just need to double down on the seriousness with Miro. I, it's just not working for me. Next up, we got Eddie Kingston addressing his enemies. Um, that being the Death Triangle, pretty much they end up in a in a big ass brawl. Lance Archer gets involved. Um, you know, just a lot of chaos. I, the the Death Triangle and uh, the family storyline is actually one of the highlights of this Dynamite for me and the past couple of weeks. I really like the story and the way they brought Pac back and. You know, redid the death triangle. So I like what's happening. Anytime Archer's involved, my eyes are on it. So I, I did like this part of Dynamite. Uh, next up, we have a message from Dustin Rose to Evil Uno. And he's pissed off for no fucking reason. Like, okay, we get it. You and Dark Order had, you know, um, rivalries in the past. You guys had bad blood in the past. But... Obviously, this is a different Dark Order, and then the way they pitched it to you was not disrespectful. They didn't interfere in your match. They didn't attack you. In fact, Evil Uno apologized for the past transgressions, and Dustin is just super angry for what? The mention of Seven and that last week, the mention of Seven and that whole storyline was amazing. I I actually got more intrigued. Like They can take a character that was shit. In WCW, which is a shit stain on Dustin's legacy. They can actually repackage it and make it something very interesting. A Dustin at the head of the fool of the Dark Order or or you know being a big prominent member. I agree with with Evil Uno. He is the least cared about um Rhodes in AW and with the announcement to uh, in this episode 
of Cody and Brandy. Congratulations. Having a child on the way. You are officially the fourth most important roads on AEW with the baby taking third place um, to the other two. So, yeah, um, you should join Dark Order. It'd be the most relevant thing you do. But instead challenges uh, the Dark Order to a match next week, which is tonight. So check that. We'll do a review on Dynamite in full later tonight. But check out on check check that out. Uh, looking forward to that. Next up, we have Top Flight, the Varsity Blondes and Best Friends versus the Inner Circle. So uh, a lot to unpack here, but we'll just go on to who won the Inner Circle. Um, like I said, just a lot of, of chaos with so many people in the ring. It was a good match overall, but I don't know if, um, you know, AEW kind of gets lost in the shuffle when it comes to a lot of people in matches. The rules get kind of tossed out the window. And I feel like this was kind of, you know, one of those situations where it's like, you know, is the ref really even there controlling the situation? But, um, you know, a, a, a lot of action. Go back, check it out. And we have next up, we have Britt Baker attacking Thunder Rosa backstage. This is a story that I'm also very interested in, uh, very um, in tune with this. Thunder Rosa, you know, had a very good impact since she's been here. Dr. Britt Baker finally getting unleashed back from injury and her having just probably the best mouthpiece promo game in the women's division right now. Um, this is really great. And um, I don't know what Thunder Rosa's future is with AEW. She's still, of course, a part of the NWA. But, you know, she's picking up wins. So I feel like they're going to end, end up signing Thunder Rosa. Um, at this point, I feel like NWA needs to just sell to AEW and fuse with that situation instead of, you know, dying come and coming back and dying and coming back. You know, merge with a big company, become a big part of something. You know, we don't have to get rid of the NWA title, which is the most one of the most prestigious titles in professional wrestling. You know, we we can have AEW uh, make it, you know, a secondary title or something like that, even though AEW is overly inflated. But NWA, I don't know what's going on with that situation, but I'm loving the storyline with Thunder Rosa and Dr. Britt Baker nonetheless. Next up. We have SCU versus The Acclaim, which is my favorite segment. Um, and I won't say match, but favorite segment of the night because we have the dissension of the SCU, which I'm finally like getting because I, I, I've been saying it from the beginning. These guys are three talented individuals, Scorpio Sky, Kazarian, and Christopher Daniels. Uh, you know, two of those being longtime veterans, one being a potential future star. Um, they should have, they would have contributed more to AEW, in my opinion, if they were separated from the beginning. So we're getting that. I'm happy for that. I don't know about how you guys would feel about that, but I appreciate it. And the second part of this that I like is the acclaim. Not only is their promo game top notch, but they do pick up this win. So they're getting showcased in a good way. I like the fact that these are guys that, you know, look the part in the ring as far as, you know, physique. They're pretty young, 
the gimmick could go left and right, but they're actually taking the gimmick in the right direction. It's like a tag team, Thugonomics, John Cena. So this is Thugonomics 201 instead of 101 because it's a tag team. You know, I like their character. I like them so far in the uh, in the ring. The finish, not so much. I feel like it was basic. Um, but, you know, that's something they could work on down the line. They're, like I said, fresh young talent. Um, very charismatic. I do like their promo game. So, big ups for that. Um, the claim. So, they pick up the win on SCU, which starts Kazarian, you know, letting off uh, his anger on Christopher Daniels. The Acclaim ended up challenging the Bucks to a title match tonight. Um, the Bucks were at ringside for that match last week. So, um, obviously, the Bucks are fighting champions. I don't know what happened to the heel turn, but okay. Next up, we got um, Top Flight challenging the Demo God and the Ratings Ruler. So, the youngest tag team in the game right now challenging uh, the Inner Circle. So, we'll see that this week. Uh, tonight, we have Ivelisse and Diamante versus Serena Deeb and Big Swole. And the winners are Big Swole and Serena Deeb. Of course, Big Swole is the number one contender to the AEW uh, Women's Championship. And Serena Deeb is the current NWA Women's Champion. So, uh, again, NWA. What's happening with that? Um, but Big Swole looked good in this. Serena Deeb, obviously very uh, talented. My baby, Ivelisse, my Puerto Rican boo. <laughs> Diamante, also, they all look good. Uh, the, I think this is the better part of the women's division. We need more focus on these women. Um, I think since there's not a tag team like belt the women can go, go for, I think they need to split up these tag teams. It's okay to showcase them together once in a while, but I think the focus needs to be on the women's championships, especially since there's two now. The NWA and AEW women's championships have been defended on, you know, Dynamite. So two women's championships taking up, uh, you know, space and time. I think they need to just focus on, you know, singles divisions at this point. If that's, if they're going to showcase two titles. So after the match, Nyla Rose, Vicky and Red Velvet uh, hit the ring. You know, they have a, a, a uh, pretty much a, they start attacking Deeb and Swole. They've been having the main streak for the past couple of weeks. Um, they're responsible for Brandy Rose's hand, uh, kayfabe being injured. So, you know, we'll see uh, what's happening with these ladies. I would say Red Velvet, which is Brandy's clone, um, I'm not really too sold on her, so... It is what it is. She tries to make the save uh, from Nyla Rose. So, uh, in real, you know, realistically, I feel like Nyla Rose could just demolish every single person in that ring. Um, it is what it is. But she, you know, obviously came out teaming with Ivelisse and Diamante, again, being responsible for the attack on Brandy Rose. So, moving on. Best Friends Arch Cassidy cut a promo on Miro. Okay. Uh, FTR take exception to the Jurassic Express vignettes that have been playing. Um, you know, they're playing up that they're still the best tag team, you know, classically trained. And it looks like they're going to start a rivalry with Jurassic Express. 
Uh, next up, we have No DQ Anything Goes number one contender match: Joey Janela versus Kenny Omega. And for me, this was the sour spot of Dynamite. Uh, Kenny's typically been the sour spot for me the past couple of weeks for the simple fact that you're drifting into this cleaner gimmick uh, once again, but it's been super fucking cheesy. Uh, down to the entrance with the cleaner ladies, this 80s theme bullshit, and then, you know, this overhyped, I'm sorry, a lot of people are hyped about it, this overhyped situation with him and Impact, He's literally done the same promo two weeks in a row on Impact. You know, now he's getting a little bit of interaction with the former Bullet Club members over there. There's rumored for an invasion happening tonight. You know, drift into the badass, Kenny Omega. Drift into that. You know, the cheesy shit, I, I could get, you know, do away with that. The cleaner I remember is the leather jacket wearing, you know, aviators on, you know, Gun, guns, um, signs, you know, just V-Trigger City. This is the, Ken, the Kenny Omega I'm, I'm used to. He still hasn't rubbed off that baby face, like, uh, cornballness. Like, I, I really can't explain it, but Kenny Omega pretty much has one of the worst Joey Janela matches I've seen. Uh, Joey Janela looked like he probably got knocked out within the first, like, two minutes of that match. It was sloppy as hell. Um, if Jim Cornette reviewed this, I didn't check what he said on it, but I'm pretty sure he said typical much show wrestling bullshit, which I agree. Joey Janela is just put in a situation where we don't have nothing to do with you, kid. You're that hardcore guy. So we're going to put you in situations where you hurt yourself or do some high impact shit to pop the crowd. And this one was just Kenny taking advantage. Quick match. Not even worth a mention as far as the goings-on. Um, hardcore spot. That's uh, You know, V-Trigger, it's over. The interesting part of this, though, was Pac coming out, dropping the bombshell that although he did beat Joey Janela tonight to clear his conscience of the eliminated tournament since Joey Janela got replaced with Sonny Kiss, which was another squash match, which was shit. Um... He said, you never beat Ray Phoenix because he was replaced by uh, Pentagon Jr. So we have a championship match tonight. We have Ray Phoenix versus Kenny Omega. So I'm not too sold on this traveling champion thing because you're only traveling to Impact right now. Yeah, you the collector gimmick he's, he's putting on, that's cool. That is cool. AEW... Champion, Triple H champion. You're already two heavyweight champions in two different promotions. If you go after the Impact Championship, whichever it it, which one they're recognizing at this point as the more prestigious, who the fuck knows? Because Impact is trash. Um, you know he's collecting. That's cool. But AEW, like, just announce you bought these guys already and make it a second show and take it over and make it better. It's trash. And the fact that we got to wait to the very last 10 minutes to get the same fucking promo from Omega. Uh, it is what it is. I'm not really liking the cross promotion so far, but I am interested in the old Bullet Club members uh, joining Kenny Omega. They did uh, sanction a match that uh, storyline. 
Tony Khan did not stop. Uh, so Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers, the old Bullet Club, teaming together against, uh, I forgot who it is in TNA. Uh, Impact, excuse me, whatever it is they want to go by. I can't stand Impact. If you haven't, if you can't tell, I don't like Impact. It's trash. It, uh, you know, killed a few brain cells a few weeks ago. My major problem with Impact is this. You have good guys. You have probably, arguably, one of the best women's division in wrestling. But your storyline is ass. Your production is ass. Your decision-making is ass. You don't keep the good stars. And the only reason you have this influx of talent is because WWE let so many people go. And you still haven't used most of them correctly. I mean, Eric Young became your champion instantly. <sighs> Anyways... And that's not taken away from Eric Young. Good dude. Like his character work. I've, I've actually watched his rise through TNA and his, you know, baby face gimmicks and heel turns and his stuff insanity. He's very talented. I just don't like Impact's decision making. It's it's trash. And the, the pure fact that two hour show, half of that show is dedicated to playing old matches from people who are not even in your promotion anymore. It is what it is. But overall, I give that show uh, maybe a seven, seven and a half. I do um, have like a couple of the story elements that are stringing into tonight's Dynamite. So you have that to look forward to. But before we move on to Friday Night Smackdown and recapping what happened there, uh, let's take a quick break. To our sponsors, the people who support Kayfabe Avenue and keep the lights on, keep the Kayfabe Avenue train going. So we'll be right back after these messages. And we're back. We left off with AEW Dynamite. We're going to move it right along to Friday Night Smackdown now. I'm not going to go completely into detail as, you know, it's basically just a go-home show for TLC, which we'll run down and speak about, but pretty much we have uh, four matches for the night. We have the Street Profits retaining their tag team titles against Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. No surprise there. Um, at this point, I I just want them to split up. Uh, Robert Roode has a lot of potential, has a lot of untapped, uh, you know, talent that hasn't been showcased in the right way on the main ra- roster. So I feel like they they need to get. Robert Rue back to being a person on his own. Dolph Ziggler, you know, gets people stuck into this tag team position. And, you know, look look at the history of, of it. Dolph Ziggler has not moved up in, in, in his career in a 10-plus year career already. You know, either his tag team partners move on and do better or they end up being just as mediocre as Dolph Ziggler. And... I don't want to see that happen to Bobby Roode. I'm I'm really sick of them throwing people who seemingly have nothing going on, just throwing them with Dolph Ziggler as if that's a great option. You guys don't even use Dolph Ziggler correctly. Dolph Ziggler is an amazing seller, very athletic, probably one of the most talented amateur wrestlers that they have backstage. You know, he used to do it in high school and I, I believe a little bit of college, so... You know, this guy has the skill. He has the talent to match. Why are they not treating him correctly? But you know what? He's too far gone. No surprise there. Street Profits retain their titles. Um, I like the long-term storyline booking that they have going on with 
Montez Ford selling the rib injury, so that's pretty good. He's been selling that injury for a couple of weeks now, ever since his match against the New Day. So we had the Riot Squad uh, defeating Billy Kay and partner of the week, which was Tamina. You know, quick segment, you know, funny. I, I love Billy Kay's comedic element, but again, another person who's probably going to get stuck in that role. They split her and Peyton Royce up for what? Because you guys are not even using Peyton Royce correctly. Tamina as well. She's she's the partner of the week. Why isn't she a part of Roman stable? Why isn't she being, uh, you know, looked down upon by Roman and talked down upon by Roman? I'm I'm the head of the table. You're a part of this family, and you ain't shit. You haven't done shit. You have not one women's championship, not one tag team championship. You have done nothing in the entirety of your career but tag or manage other people unsuccessfully at that. It, it's really sad. And I, I'm one that is not even a knock on Tamina. It, I, I, I do like Tamina being a dominant presence and they need to do what I keep saying as far as Natty goes, respect legacy. Don't forget the legacy that they carry behind them. You want to do Tamina some good? Put her in Roman stable. Have Roman set her right and have Roman make her dominate the women backstage. Simple, simple. Book it. Next up, we have Otis being coached by Chad Gable, defeating Shinsuke Nakamura, which was a really good match. I was actually surprised that Otis got the win over Shinsuke. But, you know, then again, should I be surprised when they regulated Shinsuke Nakamura to more of a tag team position? So I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But he won. Uh, he beat Shinsuke. And then Gable, you know, told Otis not to hit the Caterpillar in the match. And instead finished Shinsuke with suplex. And the distraction almost cost Otis. But uh, Gable said it was a test. And he shouldn't do what Gable says. He should do what Gable means. So basically, you know, continuing off of that, you know, I'm telling you what to do, but it fucks up and backfires. So I'm going to, you know, act like I didn't just tell you to do that. So uh, main event was Bailey defeating Bianca Belair. And uh, Bailey had the raking eyes of Belair when the ref was out of position, aiding her in picking up the win. Thank you, Raha, for those notes. Uh, miscellaneous non-segment. So we had the Kevin Owens starting the show, calling out Roman, searching around backstage. Roman cut a promo in the ring when Kevin Owens came out. Uh, Kevin Owens came out to confront him. Jay Uso attacked him, and they ended up beating up Kevin Owens until the official forced them apart. KO, uh, you know, again furious, goes looking for Owens. Owens ends up ambushed, being ambushed by Jay Uso, and gets his ass whooped pretty much. Then another segment, Kevin Owens being checked by the medical personnel backstage. Jay Uso ends up attacking him again, leave, leaving him laying on the floor. Uh, Charles Robinson ends up uh, going off on Ziggler and Rude after they tried to intimidate him after their loss. Carmella decides to have a little bit of the bubbly. <laughs> that was funny, uh, whoever wrote that article. A little bit of the bubbly that saw her... Mocking Banks until Banks hit the ring. Blah, blah, blah. 
There was a very weird happy holiday segment from the other that featured Bro Strowman voicing an animated slimy. Oh yeah, they've been doing this these holiday promos in every episode this week. You know, building up to the new year. It is kind of weird. I can't lie. But it's basically like a big germ posing as 2020 and then various superstars hitting their finishes on it. So um, it starts off with a, with a promo with Drew McIntyre, though. I'm pretty sure you're going to see it if you pay attention to any of the WWE program leading into the new year. So uh, the Sammy Awards. Oh, yeah, that was funny. I did enjoy that part of, of SmackDown. So Sammy Zayn ended up having like his own version of the Slammies, which ends up... You know, the Sammy's being this week. Um, the results were revealed today. I'll get into that more later. Um, but he ends up rewarding himself every award. Superstar of the year, best return, everything. So it was pretty funny. Uh, with Big E ending up stealing the Superstar of the Year ballot and making Sammy Zayn end up voicing that Big E was a Superstar of the Year. So pretty funny back and forth. Um, obviously, more build up to their eventual title match which is on schedule for this friday coming up so we'll get into that as that episode approaches i know it was pre-taped this week because they're all for the holidays there are some spoilers but i will not get into those i want to review the show as i see it air so uh next up the roman reigns with paul Heyman, jay uso came out to the rings and the program with a massive beating of kevin owens putting him through two tables multiple chair shots, and buried him in a pile of tables. And then you see KO, you know, end up climbing out of the rubble, uh, you know, the stacks of chairs. And he gets on the mic, tells KO that he's going to win or die trying. Uh, very 50 cent of him. Um, I did like that, but it's like, damn, how much beating are you going to freaking take? But that was Friday Night SmackDown. I feel like, honestly, it... It wasn't as good as the the other episodes of SmackDown building uh, up the past month. Roman, uh, you know, Roman, although he was on fire, you know, he's on on the best, you know, trajectory career wise. This is it's been a pleasure actually watching this because Roman's been held back so long by actually not being held back. That's crazy. (laughs) But yeah, you know, getting pushed. So much to the moon and situations where we felt like it wasn't his time. Heard him, but now it's his time. He's doing great. So that was pretty much all the fuckery of Friday Night Smackdown. Let's move on to TLC. The uh, pay-per-view where tables, ladders, and chairs is all legal. So I did not get to watch the kickoff show, but we had uh, Peter Rosenberg, Booker T, Charlie Caruso, and Jeff Jarrett on the booth. And the matchup, I believe, was a four, uh, an eight-man, four on, on four. Let's see here. <laughs> R-Truth offered to be Asuka's mystery partner. That's hilarious. Daniel, okay, the matchup was Daniel Bryan, Chad Gable, Otis, and Big E versus Sami Zayn, King Corbin, Cesaro, and Sheamus. So keeping those guys, uh, um, you know, relevant 
for this pay-per-view as far as, you know, putting them on the pre-show. What I did not appreciate is Daniel Bryan on a freaking pre-show. Why even have him come back just to beat his ass, make him leave for like a week or two, or he leaves for a week or two, comes back, wins, then gets his ass beat, is gone for a week or two, and now you're on the pre-show. Like, if this is the end of the career, like, what's going on? Like, can he actually get some steady matches, some steady, steady storylines? He still hasn't even redeemed himself or getting his ass whipped by Jey Uso. Like, come on, bro. But, yeah, ugh, why? <laughs> why even have him on a pre-show? But the big thing coming out of this was Big E getting the pinfall over the Intercontinental Champion, Sami Zayn. So, you know, obviously leading into their Intercontinental Championship match this Friday. Which, like I said, I will not spoil. I will not spoil it today. But let's get into the actual TLC pay-per-view. We have the first matchup, AJ Styles with Omos uh, versus Drew McIntyre. We end up with Drew McIntyre getting the win. But the big story of this matchup was The Miz actually cashed in. Now, I didn't like the way they did it. Like, Miz... Miz's character is that he's an opportunist. You know, he's opportunistic. He takes advantage of any opportunity that he can get, right? That's that's his entire gimmick, right? So how come he's still in a situation where week after week after week after damn week, he's in a situation where he can successfully cash in and he either gets knocked out and plays dead or for some reason doesn't fucking cash in. Tonight, he finally cashes in. Well, technically, John Morrison it, uh, cashed in for him, but we'll get more into that um, as we continue the show. But he cashes in, gets himself involved in the middle of the match. It's officially a triple threat ladder match. He has an opportunity where both opponents are knocked out on the floor. And he what he does? Takes his sweet-ass time gloating instead of getting the championship. That is fucking stupid. At this point of Miz's career, that is not Miz-like. You keep bringing him back to the cycle of fucking stupidity. And I can say that being a huge Miz fan. He has given the greatest promos of the last 5-10 years. And you guys can't even use him right consecutively. You killed all his momentum with Shane McMahon. Now you're killing him. You try to bring him back with John Morrison. Now you're killing John Morrison's momentum. And now you're further killing Miz's momentum. Now, we'll get into his promo and more on the Miz later on in the show. Like I said, I'm this is this week in wrestling, so we'll we'll get into that. But missed opportunity almost ends up coming in after like what seemed five minutes on the freaking ladder. He could have took the belt. Almost comes in. Obviously puts him through a table and interferes in that way, but Drew McIntyre ends up standing tall. Uh, this was, a, I think, probably the better of the TLC, actual TLC matches of the night. Um, but next up, we had Paul Hammond backstage with some spoilers saying Roman Reigns obviously was going to win. Then we have the SmackDown Women's Championship, Carmella. Versus Sasha Banks. And I will say. Carmella is looking the best. She's looked character wise. Uh, look wise. 
um, in ring wise. I think she's been in a long time. I think this is the gimmick that works for her. She had a really decent match here with Sasha Banks, but Sasha Banks still the women's champion. Um, we even have Reginald, which is Carmella's little assistant. It's a fear, um, but Sasha Banks overcame all that, forced Carmella to tap out. So, you know, good good match. Go check that out. Next up, we have the Raw Tag Team Championships, the Hurt Business versus the New Day. Now, this was a, overall, it was really good match. I did appreciate it, but this just felt like too little too late for me. Like, it felt like this was the obvious thing. Like, why even have another match if the Hurt Business wasn't going to win? Now, it, it just felt phoned in on a storyline perspective. It felt phoned in. I'm like, all right, they lost too many times. Or been in this situation too many times with the New Day over the past couple of weeks to not pull it off here. So, um, what's a little weird is the Cedric storyline. I don't know what's going on with Cedric as far as him being the boisterous person of the group. I think he's trying to stand out maybe like the rock of the nation in a way. But he's stealing some shine from the other members of the group. Ends up tagging himself in when uh, Shelton Benjamin was clearly going to get the win. Tags himself in, hits... Um, I forgot what he calls his finisher. Oh, what was it again? Let's see if I can find it here. Um, damn, what is the name of that move? Was it the spinal tap? Was it that? No. Uh, well, it'll, it'll come to me. I, damn. Well, it's basically like the back cracker... Um, that he, he, the lumbar check, there you go, damn, it took me a few minutes, and freaking, anyways, hits him with the lumbar check, after tagging himself in, um, Shelton Benjamin, a little puzzled, but nonetheless happy, the Hurt Business finally looking like the dominant force that was promised, um, you know, with Bobby Lashley being the United States champion, and, uh, them finally getting, the Raw Taxi Chapter. So good thing. I I do like that. But it feels like they're that's kind of the theme of this pay-per-view, which kind of made it a little lackluster for me was the fact that like they were just paying like like giving like fan service right before the new year. Like they were just trying to pop the crowd for the for the and then uh you know for the last event for the year and it, it wasn't even all that match-wise overall, honestly. Um, some matches were good. You know, most of the matches were good. But they nothing was great. And that was my issue. A lot of hard hits as far as both TLC matches. Of course, nothing is going to be forgiving in a tables, ladders, and chairs match. But I didn't feel like the matches were as classic as they could have been. But nonetheless, let's move on. We got a little preview of the Slammy Awards 2020. Then we have uh, Sami Zayn reacting to some leaked audio. Um, you know, a bunch of conspiracies happening uh, when it comes to Sami Zayn. And he asks that she reveals, the uh, backstage interview, that she reveal who gave her the audio. She says she doesn't reveal her sources, noting it's the first rule in journalism. Sami Zayn walks off. So, um... Then we have Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler versus Asuka and a partner for choosing. And this is where the crux of the fan service and my issue with the pay-per-view was. 
Women's Tag Team Championships. So, leading into this into this rivalry, we had originally Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke booked to be number one contenders. Nia Jax injures Mandy Rose. Okay, cool. We put Asuka... We put Lana in the situation. She's getting bullied. Asuka comes to the rescue. Now they're paired. Okay, cool. You have this build-up for a couple of weeks. Only to finally have Lana taken out completely. Storyline injury. At the hands of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke reunite the same night. Now you have Asuka with no... Uh, partner for this tag team championship. Asuka, the women's champion of Raw. So instead of having her defend her championship at TLC, you continue this idea of her tagging for the Raw tag team championship after the whole storyline purpose of being in that match is gone. Lana, out with injury. So instead of giving the opportunity back to Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, who've Realistically, they've earned it the past couple of weeks. You book Charlotte to come back and team with Asuka. And they win the tag team championships away for Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. Now, nonetheless, good match. Can't complain about the match. But the idea that I'm supposed to believe this rivalry of Charlotte and Asuka. Now they want to coexist to be tag team champions together. I can understand Charlotte chasing gold. I get that. That's Charlotte's major role. But the fact that she can tag with Asuka to do it, I don't see that. I don't see that at all. Charlotte and her go way back. The rivalry is big. WrestleMania proportions. The only reason I can see them pairing them in this fashion is if at this year's WrestleMania, you give the run back Asuka versus Charlotte for the women's championship, and this time you have Oscar win. That's the only way this makes sense to me. But good to see Charlotte. Big presence for the women. It was an instant shift in the atmosphere. Cool. But why do we always have to waste a, a tag team reign or a title reign of somebody to put somebody who doesn't need a title to get over? Why? Why take the time? I don't even support Nia Jax half the time. I'm really hard on her. If you go back on, if you've been listening, you've been going back on the shows, I always joke Nia Jax. I call her the injurer Nia Jax, right? That's what I call her. I would rather see Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler continue their tag team reign than have Charlotte come back and instantly win the title. Instantly. You just did that with the New Day last month. You forgot? They debuted. They re-debuted after injury. Same night. Win the tag team championships. Off of a good tag team. Shinsuke and Cesaro. Who are just gelling. Same thing with Shayna Baszler. Same thing with Nia Jax. What the fuck are y'all thinking? Like, how are we supposed to get behind these people... When the moment we finally get behind them, you pull the fucking rug. You can't pull that trick every time. Vince, your tricks are already written in history. For the fans like us that have been, like me, that have grown up on the business, grown up watching, who's already been 10 plus, 15 plus, 20 plus years watching your product, 
We know your secrets. We know your tips and tricks. We see a lot of your storylines coming down the pipeline. Come on, bro. Your same tricks are not going to work for every storyline. You just did this last month. And where are Shinsuke and Cesaro now? On the fucking pre-show. On the fucking pre-show. With Daniel Bryan. Let's move on. That's my rant. That's my rant for this one. Universal Championship match. Kevin Owens, Roman Reigns. Pretty good. Pretty uh, pretty decent stuff. Interference from Jay Uso. You know, I'm not going to get into a long-winded situation with this. There's more you can expect. The interference. Uh, Tribal Chief ends up pulling out the win. A couple hard hits, but I felt this was the... The, the second in line of the TLC matches. The, the first match, the first TLC match with The Miz, Drew McIntyre, AJ Styles, I did enjoy that m- more, even though I didn't appreciate the handling of the way the cash-in was uh, managed and The Miz taking a century to climb the ladder in a, you know, intense situation. You gave up history so you can laugh on the ladder for five minutes. But, nonetheless... Love the Tribal Chief. The match was, you know, pretty good. Kevin Owens definitely took a couple hard hits. Um, he's been getting his ass whipped this whole week. But, you know, good match. Moving on. Firefly Inferno match. The Fiend, Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton. This is the main event. And at this point, I have I was like, oh, shit. We have one more match. It was like 9 o'clock. About 9, 10 around there. When the second TLC match came out. So I was like, wow. I thought they would book at each other. But they didn't. They had the Firefly Inferno match. This was announced to be an Inferno match. The same night, the same day of the event. So when they first started the match. I didn't even realize it was an Inferno match. Until the Fiend you know, gestured. And all the flames came out. So it was different. There was no rig on the actual ring. So all the flames and everything was where the crowd would be. So it was like picture metal bar like metal poles on fire in the crowd. And literally every time a move hit, the the crowd uh would light up in flames. It looked cool in certain aspects. I did I would say that it did look cool in certain parts of the match, but it definitely was not as cool as the original Inferno match. Why? Because it made sense when the when the pyros went off. Because the impact in the ring made them go off. I understand the safety of it all. And, you know, it's, it's you know, t- wear and tear. And it's taxing on the stars, the heat and all that. I get it. But it didn't look as good as, as the old Inferno match. Now, the match itself, pretty decent. The ending, though, Bray Wyatt ends up getting put on fire. Um, he, he's still on fire, runs in the ring, attacks Randy Orton, and then Orton ends up hitting him with RKO. You know, once the once somebody gets on fire, he's it's the match is over. So Randy Orton ends up getting this sick and twisted idea to pour gasoline on the fiend and light him on fire. Now, at first watch, I was like, "What the fuck just happened?" This nigga just light him. He just lit, he just lit him up. 
But he didn't do he, he what what they did was he slid out the ring and you know was really selling the fact of what he was gonna do and they put a doll on the rewatch, they put a doll in the ring, you know, same body weight and shape as the fiend. But if you really look, you can tell the difference. He has a sudden him on fire to end the the pay-per-view. Good cool visual. Uh really funny once you realize there's a doll in the ring. Uh overall match was pretty good. I don't I don't like the change in the Inferno match. If you're gonna have an Inferno match, do it the right way. I guess the, the spin on the it's the Firefly uh funhouse infer Inferno match. I guess that's the you know little leeway you get on that. But overall I give this pay-per-view a seven. I felt like although it had decent matches on it, uh I didn't agree with a lot of the booking uh decisions. I didn't agree with the handling of certain things, and I felt like the matches that should have been super important just felt like another matchup, just with weapons involved, uh, which is not good when that's the whole theme of the pay-per-view, you know? So, a seven in my eyes. Let's move on to Monday Night Raw, but before we do that, let's take a quick break to our sponsors, the people who keep the lights on, keep the kayfabe avenue train moving, and we'll be right back after these messages. And we are back and we left off with the TLC pay-per-view, um, which I rated a 7. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on. I had a, a couple frustrations from that. But let's go to Monday Night Raw. Just a few uh, hours removed from TLC. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to give full-on detail of the goings-on. I'll, uh, you know, I usually do those in the raw wrap ups, so we'll keep it short and sweet for the this week in wrestling. So the matches we had of the night was Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler defeating Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, uh, with Baszler using the Kurafuda clutch on Dana Brooke for the win. Um, I hope this is building up to, uh, I guess the rematch. But I, I really just want these people split. It's funny at this point. If you're not going to build Shayna Baszler, you're not going to build Nia Jax t- together as a tag team. You already took the titles away from them. Like, what else is left? I really just want to see Shayna Baszler and that match, I think, that um, she should have with Asuka. Um, I don't know what Nia Jax should do. Maybe she should deal with her bully issues. But... I don't know. I really don't see where the direction is going as far as this goes, especially with Asuka and Charlotte Flair being the women's tag team champions now. So we have Angel Garza defeating Drew Gulak, which was a really short match with Angel Garza obviously being booked strong um, over the couple weeks and booked strong in this match for the win. We have Retribution's T-Bar defeating Ricochet. And afterwards, T-Bar yells at Ricochet that this won't stop until Ali says it does. And Ali won't stop until Ricochet joins them. I don't know why they're so determined for Ricochet to join this group. When this group shouldn't... Like if you want to break people up, WWE, you got me back in my rant status. See? Oof. Let me calm the blood pressure, cool the jets a little bit. But if you want to break up a, t- a team, Retribution is it. It has not worked. It is not working. None of these people are in a better position for it. None of these people are shining because of it. No one cares about Retribution. Ali's motivations 
although were great long-term storyline booking, you have trashed the entire group. Uh, along with unmaskings, unintentional, uh, unintentionally during matches or just losing in stupid situations. Yeah, this group needs to be broken up. We got the Hurt Business represented by MVP and Bobby Lashley defeating the Hardy Bros, Matt Riddle and Jeff Hardy. Uh, funny play on the Hardy uh, boys, the tag team with Matt and Jeff. A pretty decent match. Can't really uh say too much. It it pretty much just solidifies the her business's situ uh position and situation on Raw. They're the dominant stable. They have the majority of the tag uh the tag they have the majority of the titles, tag team titles, and the United States Championship. So they are the dominant force. This is more solidifying that. Then we had Jackson Racist. I mean Jackson Riker squashing Grand Metal League. Now, why am I not surprised? Not feeling him. Not feeling him being paired with Elias. Not feeling the fact that they think we forgot. And, um, yeah. Jackson races. I mean, Jackson Riker for the win. Poor Grand Metal League. And the entire racist ass stereotypical stable. Uh, Charlotte Flair and Oscar defeats Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce in a non-title match. And they'll uh, end up having their first title defense this Friday on SmackDown because, of course, they want to instantly bring Charlotte Flair to SmackDown and capitalize on the fact that Charlotte's back. Uh, boy. Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce uh, look pretty decent in the match. I still am not sold on their pairing. I don't see why would you split the Iconics up just to have them tag in different situations. Billy Kay's over there on SmackDown with a resume trying to tag with somebody different every fucking week. Having Tamina earlier, like I said, on SmackDown. Oh my God. Why? Put the fucking Iconics back together. If you want to have Peyton Royce or Billy Kay in a tag team situation, makes no sense, bro. No sense. No sense. <sighs> I thought I was over with the rants. I'm going to continue the rising of my blood pressure. Because God honest truth, this role was boring. I, I will say it straight out. This role was boring. I was watching the whole thing. I saw it live. It was boring. Like... Things just happen to happen. Nothing felt important. I, 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 maybe it's attributed to this wind down before the new New Year, but I don't know. The only thing I was looking forward to was the explanation of the fiend and that whole situation. But the main event, six man holiday street fight, Drew McIntyre, Keith Lee, and Sheamus defeat AJ Styles, Miz, and Morrison. After this match, Sheamus ends up taking out Keith Lee with a bro kick, and um, which you know is deserved because Keith Lee tied himself in, and Drew McIntyre demanded to know why and what he was doing as the program, and of course you know why, and of course you know what he's doing. Keith Lee's a monster. Keith Lee has been talking shit about Sheamus every week, poking his nose in business that has nothing to do with him. Makes perfect sense. That I can say made perfect sense. 
Uh, as far as the segments, thank you, Raha, for spelling this out for me. Uh, we had the new women's tag team champions, Oscar uh, and Charlotte, open the show. Baszler and Jax come out as did Mandy and Dana. All three teams exchange words before Charlotte asks for a match to be made between them. Um, yeah. VIP Lounge happened, and uh, they were focusing on the most dominant faction in WWE, which they could probably arguably hold claim to that right now. The uh, that, that leads to Jeff and Matt coming out and getting that match they had. Uh, Miss TV, which was uh, the crux of the show outside of the situation with The Fiend, for me was, you know, I, was, I, I hated the handling of the, the Miz... And the whole ladder, ladder situation, the whole money in the bank situation. But they threw a wrench this episode with them making you know, acknowledgement that technically the person who handed over the briefcase was John Morrison and it wasn't the Miz. So Miz is calling the network execs, he's calling everybody he has to call to get um, the decision reversed that he wasn't, he didn't actually cash in. Based on a technicality, he's right. He didn't cash in because Morrison gave it to the ref and at the, you know, behest of Morrison. That's why the ref went and made it a three-way. So maybe the Miz can steal a fucking another Money in the Bank briefcase. And if that's the case, then I'm actually not really too upset about that. So uh, the, the main... Situation I was looking forward to the explanation of the fiend. You just set him on fire at TLC, burning him alive. So he was not on this episode. We had Alexa Bliss filling those shoes, and we had a whole uh like play set swing set set up creepily in the middle of the ring. I like this a lot better than her moment of bliss set up with the baby in the cage or whatever it was in that cage. Um, this was actually cool. It was creepy. Fits in line with Alexa Bliss. And again, Alexa Bliss and The Fiend together, I've been enjoying it for the past couple of months. Um, and, you know, Alexa Bliss is doing her best kind of acting in any storyline she's done, possibly her whole career. So, um, you know, shouts out to Alexa Bliss that is allowing, uh, you know, being useful, uh, allowing The Fiend's story to continue uh, through twists and turns. So it, it's pretty cool. So, uh, she said that we can expect a fiend that's, you know, darker and worse than before. So, I don't know. Maybe the fiend is going to get a new mask. Maybe something charred. Uh, you know, one can only hope. So, that was Monday Night Raw. Like I said, unfortunately, Monday Night Raw to me was a five. It was kind of boring. It was kind of lackluster to me. Um... And I feel like Raw's actually been on a streak of decent episodes. This was not one of them. It it was just filler to me. Like I said, maybe it's the grind for the end of the year stuff. But who knows? So, to cap off the show, the, the week in wrestling, we have the 2020 Slammies that have been revealed. Um, I believe the Slammies were hosted online. And um, the host was R-Truth, the 24-7 champion. And he was joined by different superstars and uh, from past and the present. Um, 
from all over the uh, social media. So this was all like a web-based uh, situation. So they had a total of 10 awards, which were Superstar of the Year, Tag Team of the Year, Rivalry of the Year, Ring Gear of the Year. I don't know if that's a new one. Return of the Year, Moment of the Year, Match of the Year, Male, Female, Superstar, and Breakout Star of the Year. So... In the first category, we have Match of the Year, and we have Hall of Famer Shawn Michaels, uh, who pretty much is the only one to receive this award for five different matches. Damn. 94, 96, 97, 08, and 09. Uh, presents the award with Rico Rodriguez from Modern Family. They've been doing a lot of uh, little promotions with you know, celebrities, especially on Friday Night SmackDown. So it's cool to kind of cross over in this little situation. Um, but they had Rico Rodriguez from ABC's Modern Family and his sister, Rainey Rodriguez. And they, uh, the nominees were AJ Styles versus Undertaker at WrestleMania um, in the grave uh, graveyard match. Um, the boneyard match, excuse me. Then we had Becky Lynch versus Asuka at the Royal Rumble. We had New Day versus The Hurt Business. We had Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns at Survivor Series. We had Edge versus Randy Orton at Backlash. Styles versus Zayn versus Hardy. That was a great one, uh, the latter match. We had the Men's Royal Rumble match. Sasha versus Bailey in the Hell in a Cell. AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan. I love that rivalry. By the way, uh, Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso, Hal Nacelle. I love that whole story, that whole build-up, the shit-talking in the match. Roman really finally being himself. Uh, but the winner was AJ Styles versus Undertaker. I don't know if I would have went that route. I, I, I guess it was cool because it was very different. The Boneyard match was a cinematic match. Um, also, Undertaker's last match. So I kind of understand why they threw it towards him. But out of these nominees, me personally... I'd probably go with, uh, let's see, uh, these Styles versus Zayn versus Hardy. That was a pretty good one. But I'd go with AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan, me personally. Just, you know, Daniel at the top of his game, AJ at the top of his game. I believe this is where Daniel was the uh, Planets champion. Really good, really good stuff. So, we had Rivalry of the Year. So, in uh, 2014, Daniel Bryan versus The Authority won this. The presenter of this year uh, award is Demi Burnett from ABC's The Bachelor. So, a lot of cross-promotion with ABC. Uh, the nominees were Rollins versus The Mysterio Family. Lana versus The Announce Tables. Oh, my goodness. That was an actual fucking thing. I thought that was a joke. Our truth versus the world. <laughs> True McIntyre versus Randy Orton. Sasha Banks versus Bailey. Edge versus Orton. The winner was Edge and Orton. A good storyline. Good, uh, you know, very personal. I did like the story. I didn't care too much about the match personally. I feel like it was drawn out way too much. Um, out of these. Rivalry of the Year. Rollins versus Mary Mysterio dragged out too much. We hated that shit. It shouldn't have even been a contender. 
I got to give it to Lana versus the announce tables. Heated rivalry, eight weeks straight, you know, and Lana kept coming back. <laughs> nah, seriously, that's hilarious that they even put that in there. But rivalry of the year, I'd give it to Sasha versus Bailey, hands down. Starting off as the tag team champions, um, you know, the best friend stuff. Great, great stuff. That You got to incorporate everything about it, not just, you know, their one-on-one situation. You got to think about when they were tagging, the whole buildup. It was a year in the making, this uh, particular story. And if you really see the way they pulled it together, they actually brought all their history into it, into this one. Um, allusions to NXT days, everything like that. So I'd go with, with uh, Bailey versus Sasha, hands down. Honorable mention... Lana versus the announce tables for sure. So the next category is uh, tag team of the year. And that award hasn't been uh, one that was awarded consecutively. It was like first in 97. Then it was brought back in 08, which was awarded to Miz and Morrison. Um, They had Clark Duke from NBC's The Office um, presenting it. So the nominees were... Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, the Golden Role Models, the New Day, the Street Profits, Shinsuke and Cesaro, and the winners, the Street Profits. Now, arguably, I I give it to them because they're you know what I give it to them because they're still together as a tag team. I, they def- definitely put more work in than Shinsuke and Cesaro. Definitely put more work in than the New Day this year with them being injured. Um, I would have gave it to the Golden Role Models had it not been for the collapse of the team. And, you know, them ended up in their rivalry. So, you know, I, I you know why I agree with this. Street Profits out of all of them. And I feel like Nia Jax and uh, Shayna Baszler haven't been around long enough uh, as a tag team to, to consider them, you know, tag team of the year. So... Street Profits definitely well-deserved, especially with that big win over the New Day. So, yeah, I agree with that one. Return of the year. Um, They're saying Jerry the King Lola won it back in 2012, and he's here to tell us who they'll be receiving this with. Uh, oh, Hall of Famer Mick Foley out there with him to present re- Return of the Year, which uh, nominees are Edge, Goldberg, MVP, Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn. Winner being Edge. Definitely, definitely Edge. Definitely Edge. Coming back after so many years, you know, uh, retired due to neck, you know, injury. You know, injuries that people rarely ever come back from. Um, Who knows? Daniel Bryan probably was the inspiration behind Edge. Like, hey, maybe I can give it a go. Um, You know, Edge was definitely a shock. Definitely, definitely a shock. Uh, one of the biggest pops of 2020 um, before the pandemic wiped out the crowds uh, going to these events and these arenas. You know, that was the last really great image that along with Drew McIntyre's Roy Rumble win. Really the last great images of arena wrestling uh, with packed crowds. So, agreed. Edge, uh, return of the year. I definitely agree with that. So, ring of the year, like I said, I think this is the first ever time they did that. No, actually, the first ever time they had it was 
1984, Harley Race had Ring Gear of the Year. Wow. And Snooki from Jersey Shore uh, presents this one. The nominees are Bianca Belair. It has to be Bianca Belair. Carmella has to be Bianca Belair. Charlotte Flair has to be Bianca Belair. The New Day has to be Bianca Belair. Sasha Banks has to be Bianca Belair. Seth Rollins, it has to be Bianca Belair. Shinsuke has to be Bianca Belair. And the, the New Day's the win. Oh, come on. Bianca Belair creates her own clothing. Top to bottom. You're not going to tell me. I'm pretty sure they gave this just because of that freaking video game gear that they had. Oh, Lord. I mean, the New Day does have nice gear. Let's not take that away from them. The New Day has uh, uh, amazing gear. They do all all the time. Uh, Nickelodeon-inspired stuff, you know, anime-inspired stuff. I really like the Super Saiyan, uh, you know, Dragon Ball Z stuff they did back in the day. But nah, man, Bianca Belair is on this list. She should have won. She makes everything from scratch herself. She doesn't get anything ordered. So that should have been an automatic win, man. Disagree with you guys. Uh, breakout star of the year. Uh, so they say in 2013, The Shield was the first group to win this award. And to present this year's winner is TikTok Sensation Derek Baker. Who the fuck is Derek Baker? Uh, the nominees are Bianca Belair, Dominic Mysterio, Murphy, Otis, The Street Profits. And the winner is The Street Profits. How the hell are they breakout stars of the year? They've been around for a while. By all means, this should have been, went to either Bianca Belair or Dominic Mysterio. Dominic Mysterio having zero fucking um, in-ring, on-screen matches and having great matches back-to-back. This is crazy. No, I don't agree. I don't agree. Breakout star of the year, easily Dominic Mysterio. As a matter of fact, I can't even give it to Bianca. She's been around for a while. Come on, stop insulting us, man. You had NXT a part of Survivor Series last year. Stop insulting us. Bianca Belair's been, you know, around for a while. I mean, then again, people can't break out again in different ways. So I, I guess, but no. Dominic Mysterio, hands down. New, new guy, fresh to the scene, never had a single match televised, ends up putting on a series of great, awesome performances, and... Got his ass whooped. Not only that, not getting handed these wins, not getting handed these opportunities because he's Mysterio's son. Actually taking the lashings, literally, um, with kendo sticks and all that. Crazy. Next up is female superstar of the year. So um, they're saying the last person to win this award was Nikki Bella in 2015. And presenting this award to is... Hall of Famer Trish Stratus. The nominees. Horrible attempt at a drum roll. Asuka, Bailey, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks. And the winner is Sasha Banks. Yeah. Best rivalry, in my opinion. Uh finally got a relevant reign going on. Tag team champions. Uh they both well, matter of fact, multiple championship reigns this year. 
they did the power women power trip. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. It could have been um a toss up between Bailey and, and Sasha Banks, honestly. If you look at it. Becky Lynch should have been on this list because right after WrestleMania ended, she handed the title um away. So because she went away for pregnancy. Charlotte been out for a couple of months this out this year. She just returned. Oscar been holding it down more than all of them. And, you know, Oscar's the only one that I'd, be, I'd say is a toss-up between her, Becky Lynch. I, excuse me, not Becky Lynch. Her, Bailey, and Sasha Banks. Yeah, so but I agree with Sasha Banks. Male Superstar of the Year, so they say in 2008, Chris Jericho received the award. And here to give the award is Shawn Michaels again. So we have nominees... Braun Strowman, The Fiend, Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, Roman Reigns. And the winner is Drew McIntyre. Off the off the reason of his rise, the Royal Rumble, beating the the Beast, being a two-time champion, holding down everything during the pandemic, uh giving us great showings, you know, uh more so in the in the second half of the year because the first half they weren't really tossing him too many worthy opponents. But yeah, I agree with you, McIntyre. If not the Fiend, Fiend definitely had an amazing year too. So moments of the year. So they say in 2014, Brock Lesnar versus Undertaker won it at WrestleMania 30. And they got Ken Jeong from uh the Hangover movies and Fox's Mass Singer. So they got Moment of the Year nominees. Undertaker's Farewell, McIntyre Slays the Beast, Reigns and Heyman Unite, Bailey Crosses the Boss, New Day Split, Return of Edge, Becky's Pregnancy, New Day Says Goodbye to E. The winner was Undertaker's Farewell. Uh, I would say Undertaker's Farewell, I would agree with it if it was just one moment. That shit was stretched out over like a month, a pay-per-view, three consecutive shows after, multiple promos, multiple doc like what which moment, which which farewell, which one. So I don't agree as far as that goes. Uh I'd put I'd put Reigns and Heyman United. Just for the simple fact the way Roman has made a complete change in character and promo work and in-ring work elevating Jay Uso just popping the ratings back because Smackdown was in a huge decline before Roman came back like yeah I, I definitely say Roman and him teaming with rank with with Heyman of all people after all he's been through facing Brock that was crazy so yeah I, I would have gave it to Roman Superstar of the Year goes to... Oh, hold up. Superstar of the Year is the next category. They say John Cena is the only person to win this three times. Of course, Golden Shovel. Uh, Presenting this year award was The Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And the nominees for Superstar of the Year was Asuka, Bailey, Becky Lynch, Braun Strowman, The Fiend, Charlotte, Drew... Randy Orton, Roman Reigns, and Sasha Banks. Honestly, I would give it to almost 
everyone on this list except Becky Lynch because she got pregnant early this year. Except Charlotte Flair because she was gone for six months plus. And everyone else, they definitely have a great argument for uh, Superstar of the Year. Those in particular, I do not agree with. But Drew McIntyre ends up winning it. And I think it's well-deserved. Two-time WWE champion. His rise. Uh, the pandemic situation. It was a really tough year for Drew. And he's still been performing at uh, you know the top of his, of his ability. So, yeah. Definitely uh, agree with their choice in Drew McIntyre. So, that was it, guys. That was the full catch-up this week on wrestling. I led you through AEW Dynamite, through Friday Night SmackDown, TLC, Monday Night Raw, and the Slammy Awards. So I can do this all day, and at this point, I feel like I have. <laughs> but uh, you can find us at Kfabe Avenue on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Join the Facebook group, like, share, subscribe on the YouTube. And speaking of subscribing, please click on the support link on Anchor. Click on that support link on Apple Podcasts. Donate what you can. Keep the lights going. Keep this Kayfabe Avenue train moving for us. And help us contribute more episodes. Keep the creative juices flowing and produce more shows for you guys. So with that being said, this was This Week in Wrestling. I have been Kayfabe AJ. This has been Kayfabe Avenue. Austin. Take us home. And that's the bottom line. Why? Because those Stone Cold said so. Thank you very much, you son of a bitch.